Hello, hello! Welcome to our fourth episode of Afternoon Tea. Notice anything different about the last episode? Well, we have a new opening tune. This one's more upbeat than the ominous tune that we used in the first two episodes. So shout out to our human Wikipedia and Baby Sparrow expert Ashish for creating the new opening. Also here at Afternoon Tea, we're all about showcasing the talents and creativity of Asian Americans across the country, whether that's music, art, spoken word, comedy, you name it. If you would like your work to be featured on our podcast, just send us a DM on Instagram or on Facebook. In this episode, we are featuring white people. That's white people the band, not the racial group that holds disproportionate wealth and power over POCs and reinforce structural inequalities that only interest the white elites. And during the break, you'll be able to hear the music. But before we do that, let's tune into our conversation for this episode. All right, hello everyone. Thank you all for being a part of this fourth episode of Afternoon Tea. So basically, this podcast is about this friendly fireside conversation about basically anything and everything. So we have some new and returning faces for today. So let's just go around, say our names, our pronouns, where we are currently located, and you can ask like what music people listen to when they're like I don't know in a funk or something. Like, what's your go-to kind of feel-good? All right, what's your funky music? So name, pronouns, current location, and what's your funky music? I feel like you paraphrased what I was asking, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Uh, so my name is Bang. I use he/him pronouns. I am currently located in Los Angeles, and my funky music is. Um, I've been listening to a lot of disco lately. Oh. Yeah, because I watched an episode of Glee that was about Saturday Night Fever, <laughs> and. I was really into it. I think I was born in the wrong decade. I think I would have thrived in the seventies with my, you know, with my sprinkler move. Where'd you get your disco kick from? From that episode of Glee. <laughs> That's when it started. Yeah, man. Okay, fair enough. My name's Alex. He his. Currently based in Chicago. My go-to funky music. Well, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't ready to answer with something funky. <laughs> funky can be interpreted. Just right. The music that you listen to when you're in the funk. So your funky music. But that's Good so funk, different. bad funk, any kind of funk. Um, when I'm in a funk, I listen to a lot of Frank Ocean. Ooh. When I'm when I'm feeling funky, recently I've been enjoying a lot of like jazz music, uh, especially like the more like upbeat stuff, the band stuff. Um, yeah, those are a lot of fun. Have you been going to jazz clubs and listening to live music? I haven't. I need to. I need to check it out. Yeah, let's go, man. You're Chicago. Next time we'll go. I can go next. I'm Lauren. I use she, hers. I'm also in Los Angeles. And when I'm in a funk, I listen to... I've been listening to her, especially her... Oh, nice. um, Whatchamacallit? Her Tiny Desk Concert. It's really good. Ooh. Yeah, it is really good. Hello, I'm Tim. I use he, him. At Princeton, New Jersey, it's been really cold on the East Coast. <laughs> it was like 8 degrees or something the other day. I was just like freezing. Oh anyway. Damn. 8 degrees? 8 degrees Fahrenheit. So like negative um, something in other worldly units. Yesterday, LA was 72 degrees. Oh my god. <laughs> How? <laughs> See, when I'm in a funk, I don't know. Usually, my go-to for listening to any music at all is to just go on spotify and look for that one k-pop list on spotify and just play that 
And that seems to work for any mood, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it works for happy or sad? Yeah, because there's both. <laughs> for funk or funky. Yeah. Yeah. The format, the format that worked last time, on the last episode, was one silly question, one serious question, one silly question, one serious question. So let's try to follow that format. That's a That's a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah, it really is. One silly question, one serious question. One silly question, one serious question. Do you want a serious or silly question? It's up to you. You get to decide. All right. I can start with a serious question. My serious question is just like, what is your relationship with social media? And what I mean by that is I just feel like we're all, you know, so deeply embedded or most of us are like deeply embedded in social media in like one way or another, whether it's like we're on it all the time or we feel forced to use it all the time or even like we're trying to actively avoid it, but it's just like everywhere. And so, like, I've heard, like, a lot of interesting stories about, like, how people manage, like, their social media time or, like, you know, sometimes they, like, deactivate accounts for, like, certain periods of time or they have, like, specific rules on how they interact with it. So, I guess it's kind of a broad question. I was just, like, curious how, like, people feel about social media and, like, how they use it. I didn't realize how much I use social media until I updated my phone and I have an iPhone, so I got the Screen Time app, which I did not ask for. It just showed up. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I got a notification one day, and it was like, your your screen time is down by two hours. And I was like, what do you mean? So I opened it, and turns out I was on my phone for roughly seven hours a day. And oh, wow. yeah. Um, and so clearly I don't have any rules to like regulate my my screen time. But... I guess it just put into perspective that I practically spent a whole workday on my phone regularly. And I know it's not good for like my mental and emotional health. So it was just a wake up call. Right. Yeah, I feel that. I, the thing about social media is that it feels almost like a subconscious act. Like sometimes when I'm bored, I'll just be like, I just automatically, I'm just automatically scrolling the Instagram feed or something. Yeah. And I think it happens like, at like five minute chunks at a time but then you know like you said lauren that it kind of just like adds up to like a whole work day which is like ridiculous mm-hmm. yeah like when i go to the bathroom to poop i always have my phone out <laughs> i do the same thing i just scroll through like instagram twitter facebook those are my three main ones just like while i'm on the toilet are you able to get to all three during your poops it depends because i will just stay there for for longer than necessary because scrolling is so fun. I'm really hoping people don't feel gross about that question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair question. Yeah, right? It's like, do you do you get up when you're done pooping, or do you get done when you're done scrolling? And at this point, it's kind of a toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> I get done when I'm done scrolling. <laughs> I enjoy using you know Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I think out of all of us, I might be the most deep in social media. And it's probably because, well, one, I like the attention that I get on social media, but also have a lot of anxiety. You know, meeting new people and being in crowds gives me a lot of anxiety. And with social media, it, it kind of has that a wall between me and crowds of people. So it helps with my anxiety. So I'm able to get that attention that I crave without causing anxiety onto myself. But does, does it not cause like more anxiety? Like I get more anxious because I'm like, if I post something, I'm like, okay, what is this? say about me or how does this make me look or like are enough people gonna like it or whatnot 
But I get anxious just by walking out the door. Fair. At least allows me to stay in my bed, but still know what's going on in the world. Bing, do you feel like you post on social media as a specific personality? Or, yeah, what is your, like, social media <laughs> brand? I'm... That's that's a good question. I don't know if I have a specific brand. I I do try to make myself seem more cool than I actually am. In what in what ways? Like I'm more of a traveler, which I'm not, and I eat a lot of good food, which I don't. Um, but I have a lot of good friends, which I do. Which you do? Yeah. How do you project that you're a traveler? Always posting pictures of you going to different places. So I like. So like, I'm, I'm I'm looking through my Instagram feed right now. I'm seeing pictures of Taiwan and Amsterdam and uh, Barcelona. I'm gonna look at your feed too. Yeah. <laughs> this was actually my plan all along. You can follow me at at Bing underscore Wang. I actually don't have Instagram, so I can't jump on this. <laughs> Even though Facebook gives you Instagram automatically, but I don't know. Never saw the appeal of Instagram. What platforms do you use? I mainly use Facebook, but not to post anything anymore, but like to scroll my feed and talk to people via Messenger. I use Snapchat just because I like to take pictures of my food and send it to people. (laughs) Um, I think that's it. Oh, and I use Reddit like all the time. Oh, right. Is Reddit social media? I think it counts as a social media website, but it's not social media in the sense that it's your own personal social media. Like, it's different from, like, your personal Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, yeah. What about Tinder? Is that social media? Yeah, kind of. It could be. Yeah. Depends on how you use it. Because I'm definitely using that on the crapper. (laughs) But going back to what Tim was saying, that's what I get caught in, like... I'll scroll and scroll and scroll, but I'll never post anything. So if you look at my accounts, like, it looks like I'm rarely on when the reality is that I spend a cumulative seven hours a day on Facebook and Instagram. What's your, what's your favorite social media platform? Ooh. Uh, I think lately it's been Instagram because I've been really into like Asian American tattoo artists and they just post all these really cool pictures. Of their work mm-hmm. uh, I think it's complicated uh, I think as someone that needs or wants to network with people like social media is kind of crucial to what I do but at the same time it's like a love and hate relationship like it is really cool on Instagram to see like the cool art that my friends are putting up but at the same time it's like I think it brings a lot of like competitiveness or like anxiety or kind of like you know fear of missing out and just like all these very like negative feelings that I feel like I wouldn't experience if I just didn't use these platforms and so lately I've just been like figuring out strategies to kind of find a good kind of medium or in between um, I do like using Twitter the most, though, actually. I feel like Twitter is the only place where I'm genuinely myself. Like, maybe even more so than, like, me- talking to me in person. Huh. So, there's that. How do you all feel about using Twitter for activism? Or social media for activism? I think, I think it's just, like, another tool. 
And so, like, as, as with any tool, it's really about the people or the individual that wields it. And so, like, you do see, like, social media, obviously, as a really good and easy way to bring people together, to spread information. But you can also see the limitations of that, of like, oh, what happens if these communication tools only stay as communication and there isn't, like, a roadmap to go to some other steps? Um, I'm kind of reminded of Tumblr because I think, like, a lot of teens and, like, young kids learn a lot about social justice, a lot about activism, a lot about organizing through that because, like, they need to find alternative ways to learn about stuff that their schools are not teaching them. And I kind of see, like, oh, on one hand, it's very inspiring to see, like, people kind of putting in this free labor in order to educate other people or, like, help work through these problems. But you can also kind of see the drawbacks and kind of kind of the the less positive aspects where it's like, oh, you know, without a proper, proper infrastructure, sometimes there's mishap, miscommunication, misinformation, stuff like that. I think it's also important to note how, how social media can be weaponized uh, as well. And I'm not saying this is like a positive thing necessarily for any activism, but like, for example, doxing people or... You know, uh, if someone posts something uh, where it's clear that uh, some racist incident is happening and then they go and find whoever was the the perpetrator, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. like that also is both a strength and a weakness of uh, of social media, right? That you can essentially uh, ensue this vigilante justice. which, you know, may or may not be good for depending on uh, on your viewpoint, um, on what side of the conflict you're on. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, anybody want to ask a silly question? Uh, what trend do you hope stays in 2018? So a trend you want, like, gone. Yeah. Oh, what you want oh. gone. I, uh, Wait, what did you think I meant? I thought what trend started in 2018 that you still want to continue? Oh, uh, no. Yeah, I also thought that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> really? No, I I think the question was pretty clear. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but wait, now I'm curious. Bing, what did you have in mind? Because I was thinking about how in 2008, more and more people were open about their mental health. Um, like People are starting to be more vulnerable and understand the intricacies of what mental health is and how to make the men- mental health better. Eight um, or 18? Was that? Two, I think you said 2008. Oh, 2018. Oh, okay. Because we're seeing a lot of people come out of the shadows and spread awareness of um, what's been bothering them. You know, they're spreading awareness of their m- mental health. Also, that people are, are starting to accept that this is more than just uh, being sad and it's more than just isolated incidents. Um, it's something that needs to be treated. Um, that's why I hope that this trend keeps continuing in the future. So more and more people will understand what mental health really is. That's good, but also a very serious answer for a silly question. I also did not know it was a silly question. Should this also be open to interpretation? Everything's open to interpretation. Yeah. I- Fair. <laughs> what about you all? What trend do you think, do you hope stays in 2018? What were some things that were trendy in 2018? Fidget spinners, bird, the the e scooter. That was twenty eighteen. Fidget spinner. Actually, I think it. No, I was still at 
I was still in college. 2017 at the latest. 17 or 16. I mean, I hope Fidget Spinner stay there. <laughs> Whatever year it was. Uh, 2018 was a weird year, so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what happened. I'm literally just Googling things that happened in 2018. <laughs> I guess Fortnite was big, right? The game. <laughs> the World Cup was big. Was that in 2018? Yeah. Oh. 2018 trends. Wildfires in California? Yeah, I hope that I mean, stays in 2018. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've been in 2018. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you would hope otherwise. <laughs> Yanni or Laurel? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> my One of my friends is dating a girl named Laurel. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> or is she Yanni? <laughs> or is she Yanni? <laughs> you never know. That can, that can stay in 2018. I don't need that, I don't need that confusion going forward. What about Brett Kavanaugh? He can stay in 2018. He could say in 2018. I'm okay with not hearing his name ever again, unless it's about impeachment. What Isn't about Bitcoin? For perjury? Is he? Or he's going to be, apparently, by the House. Interesting. All of Logan Paul's, like, shenanigans can stay in 2018. Yep. Logan Paul himself can just be in 2018. I don't know why he has a following. It makes no sense to me. Makes no sense why do kids like him? I'd never heard of him before he blew up on Twitter. I also think Kanye can stay in 2018. I've given up the controversial statement. It's over. Was 2018 the what? Did he release that uh that that poop song? Is that the is that the one? The poopy scoop one. Yeah. (laughs) That might have been 2018. Alex, you're the resident hip hop person. I think it was 2018. (laughs) When did he go on that rant about? Slavery was a choice. Oh, yeah. That was definitely 2018. That was 2018. Well, goodbye, Kanye. Hope you stay. Don't come to 2019. Just stay in 2018. So we're just keeping a bunch of people in 2018? Basically, yeah. (laughs) That's fair. Should we move on to the next question? Okay. What was something profound that someone said to you that really stuck with you? They still remember to this day. Could have been... Someone random, could have been your parents, your friends. There's something that someone said that you still, that still sticks with you to this day. When I was getting ready to graduate from college, one of my favorite professors introduced me to the professor that was his dissertation chair in his like PhD program, however many years ago. So yeah, I had this like lineage of like academics going. And he's kind of this, like, sort of, like, well-known professor. He had the nice fancy office with, like, the ocean view windows. I was really scared of him. And so I was like, okay, like, time to put my game face on. Like, gonna be, uh, gonna front that I'm just, like, this really, really great student and blah, blah, blah. And then I walk in and he has, like, his gym socks from yesterday. He has his, like, file cabinets pulled out. And he has his gym socks like hanging on the the drawers and whatever. And I was like, oh, what? No. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? <laughs> but at point being, um, it turned out like we we ended up having a conversation about like how academia can be really soul sucking, but you should remember that you're allowed to be a person no matter what. 
and that that comes like first and foremost. So I think it definitely touches on this mental health aspect that you were talking about, Bing. Um, and for me, it was just like, I always walk into a room and I try to like figure out what like the like unwritten rules are so I don't step on anybody's toes. But at what point am I just allowed to make a mistake and be a person, you know? So yeah, that was something that really stuck with me. Lauren, you're perfect just the way you are. Oh, stop. But yeah, so that was my thing. Let's, uh, let's take a break because I need to use the crapper. Oh my god. So how long is this break going to be? Like 20 minutes? <laughs> it depends on how much I scroll. Hey, I'm Ano Ba, and you are tuning in to Afternoon Tea. I'm the producer and a vocalist in the all-POC hip-hop trio called White People, PPL. We write songs about love. Find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and all social media platforms. Well 
about the world in our hands Let's dance for the rest of the night I ain't worried about shit If you could only eat one cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? And the rule is, you can't just say Chinese food because it's too broad. You'd have to say yeah. like Sichuan or um, some you know regional cuisine. You can't just say all of China. <laughs> um, yeah. So, can I pick like Korean food, or do I have to be more specific? Uh, is it? Or I could just. Is it Seoul or Korean, Busan food? I could just say Korean Jigae's. Can I do that? I am ignorant to <laughs> local, regional Korean cuisine. We're not that cultured, being. <laughs> you don't know your differences in Korean cuisines? I don't. What is the difference? Well, I don't know. I was like, if you're gonna talk the talk, Bing, like. Don't you live in K Town? I was not expecting to be called out on that one. So does this mean that you would eat Korean barbecue for the rest of your life? Is that your... No, no, no. Is that your final answer? Nope. <laughs> I do have a qualm about Korean barbecue, though, because they serve it to us raw. Like, they expect us to make it ourselves. Yeah, that's why it's fun. That's why it's not fun. <laughs> I'd rather have food that's, <laughs> that's already made and then given to us. If I want to cook by myself or cook for myself, I can just cook at home. I don't want to right, go to a restaurant. In LA, in LA, don't they do it for you now? You can, but it'll be extra. And it's at like the higher end places, right? Because I'm like, I'm paying $12 for my all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue and they are not cooking for me. Exactly. But I, I can pay $12 to buy some groceries and then cook a meal at home. Well, then just do that. You can't... You- <laughs> You can't live a upper. You can't have an upper class mentality while living on a budget reality. <laughs> there has to be some compromise. This isn't an upper class mentality. I just want my food to be cooked in a restaurant because I can do that at home. Bing, what's your what's your viewpoint on uh, on pho? But like the meat is still raw, like Ooh. until like you boil it or whatever like, um, in the soup. Why well, do you like that? I do like pho and hot pot. What? But like, but the meat is still raw when you, when you get it though. Yes, but it cooks faster. So you just have to dip it for like five to ten seconds and then well, you can eat it. Hot pot, it depends on what you're putting in the hot pot. Some of them is longer. Some of them is longer, but you have to time it well. But Korean barbecue, that slab of meat takes 20 minutes to cook. And you're just sitting there looking at the meat for 20 minutes. What kind of meat are you cooking? Yeah, what? So it's like brisket entire, is super you know, quick. You know, very, like entire, uh, like, very thick meat. Entire rotisserie chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I would, I would pick, pick Taiwanese street food. Specifically street food? Specifically Taiwanese street food. So like, scallion mm. pancakes, stinky tofu, noodles, stuff like that. Or I actually prefer when white people make the same dishes and then charge people 10 times the price. 
My I fave. Love the, I love the taste of appropriation. Wait, this was your answer to Keith's question the very first day of class. Like, one of our icebreaker questions was if you could only eat one food. And you said, because we were partners. And you yeah. said Taiwanese street food that only costs a dollar. Yeah. Being your recycling answers. <laughs> That's my thing, man. TBH, I was going to recycle my answer too. What <laughs> <laughs> were you going to say? Um, so with that, my, um, my favorite food is still shabu shabu. But if I can, if I, if I can use an entire country's cuisine, I would go with Japanese food. Yeah. Well, shabu shabu is Japanese. Right. So yeah. Are there regional differences? Um, yeah. I think it depends. Oh, like within Japan or like the different types of like hot pot. Uh, like like in Japan, like Hokkaido oh. versus I don't know I'm sure there Okinawa, is. like different broths. That's what I was thinking, but uh, or, that's what I imagine, but I'm not sure. Because with ramen, there there's different regional broths. Right, right, and like okonomiyaki too. Um, but with shabu shabu, I'm really not sure. But if I get to like choose all of like all of Japan's food, that's like Seven Eleven onigiri. That's all of the ramen, all of the okonomiyaki, all of the dessert. So all the sushi. Yes. Mm. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. I actually kind of want to change my answer to like hot pot. But mm. I don't even know if like hot pot's cheating. Hot pot's basically just, I mean, it's just a pot where you can cook anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't like grill a steak. Right. You okay, can boil well. a steak. It's, it'll just take twenty minutes. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you put in your in your shabu shabu slash hot pot? The weirdest thing? Yeah. To be honest, I just eat probably like my weight in napa cabbage and beef, so nothing too outrageous. I once had frog oh. in my hot pot, and it tasted better than expected. It was very chickeny. Yeah, I feel like yeah. frog is just a tougher chicken. I've never it had fights that. back more. Oh, okay. It's like I don't want to be eaten. <laughs> Literally trying just to like jump that. out. <laughs> That's what makes it taste so good. <laughs> I feel like vegetables are very underrated in hot pots. They're like the cheapest thing, but like the cool thing about them is they basically act as like sponges for the broth. I feel. Yeah. yeah. And you know the. The long mushrooms, the enoki. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that shit's so good. What are you guys' viewpoints on drinking the soup afterwards? Oh. So my mom is really smart about this. She makes two pots. One is for vegetables. One is for meats. Oh, so, so that, you don't get all the fat in the other yeah, one. You don't get all the the fat mm. on top. Because that was exactly what I was gonna say. Like my issue with drinking the broth. Hmm. So you can like scoop the, the the oil out, right? That's true. You can just drink it. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about hot pot for me is like, I don't, I don't really stop eating until like, I literally cannot like eat anymore. And so like, there never comes a time when I'm like, oh, I have room to drink the broth for me. Cause I'm just literally eating until I physically can't anymore. And at that point, I literally can't fit anything else in me. (laughs) Cause like my family would like save the, like, we would, like, do two sessions. We would, like, do one at night. 
and then the next morning we would like redo it Ooh. but then like we would you know we would get that chance to drink the soup right because it's basically everything's been boiled in it and so it's like a very hearty soup wait it, tim is a uh, is hot pot a two-day event for you what because uh, like you eat it at dinner and then yeah. you eat the leftovers you know, it's if you have it, you might as well save it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have leftovers. Yeah, my family has once like been over like two, three days. <laughs> I don't know how gross or safe that is, but we survived. Yeah, I mean you're still alive right now. <laughs> yeah, so one time me and a friend went to get hot pot and we got way too much and so we got a bunch of leftovers. So I put it in the freezer. And then every day I would just like shave off a bit because it became like solid. There's just like a solid cube of like fat and broth. <laughs> and I would just shave off some, add some boiling water, and oh. add fresh ingredients. And then that lasted like two weeks. And it's like really gross, but also really delicious at the same time. That is a great idea. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. Thank you. Yeah, you just made your own MSG powder. Basically, it was just like very concentrated fat and broth and just like everything else. Sophomore in college, I used to have one of those hot plates, you know, those electronic hot plates. Yeah. So I would just make hot pot in my own room while studying. Nice. So I didn't have to go to the kitchen. That's smart. <laughs> well, it was smart. And then you think about the fire hazards. Did the, the, does the residual smell ever bother you? Or were you just like, ah, oh, yes, I smell delicious? I was like, oh, I smell delicious right now. <laughs> I also feel like I don't smell as bad after hot pot as I do with cream barbecue. Like, mm. I smell worse after cream barbecue. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Korean barbecue has a very distinct smell. So like we're all on the same page? Korean barbecue sucks? We are no. not on the no. same <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth the, worth the sacrifice. Yeah. My question is, wait, so am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. Okay. So <laughs> there's a lot of shit going on in the world right now. Um, and I feel like, especially with the presence of social media, things are getting like louder and closer and everything just feels really in your face. Um, so in light of that, how do you maintain hope? I think there's obviously like no, you know silver bullet kind of answer where it's like this will solve everything and fix everything and make you feel better but for me like it really is just the fundamentals of like um i really enjoy talking to people one-on-one -on -one, um mm -hmm. and not just like small talk not just like oh we ran into the street together but like a very intentional like let's grab coffee and you know let's spend the next hour just chatting about where we're at you know what we want to do and it could be fun stuff too, but I think it's just like being very intentional about building bonds and relationships. And I think that goes a pretty long way in counteracting a lot of kind of the negative energy that occurs like online or like on social media or whatnot, because I think all those things are so sometimes so like distant and like um, they're always like looming and it's like very hard to parse out hope from that. But, like, I think one-on-one, -on -one, when you engage with someone, like, there's just, it's it's much easier to find hope there. It's much easier to be inspired there because I think 
the stakes are much more localized. Like you're just interacting with this one other person. Um, and so like when they display like kindness or thoughtfulness, like that directly hits you. And, and at least for me that, you know, I find that very inspiring and that like really helps me, um, especially when I'm like going through a tough time. I really appreciate that answer because I'm not sure whether this was like intentional or not, but you totally touched on um, this like theme of uh, like a locus of control. So um, when a lot of people like from a psych perspective, when a lot of people like are experiencing like dread or like a lot of like negative emotions, like um, this is also uh, like, preemptive thing for um people that become depressed it's like their locus of control is global like it's outside of themselves mm-hmm. um mm. but localizing that it's like oh like i have control over how i react to these things i have the agency to um to build hope and i'm going to do so with this person that's right in front of me right now right. um so i think that's really cool uh, I was going to say another like really good strategy is like finding art or creativity or something that really resonates with you on like a larger thematic level. And I think that works really well. Um, but I was actually going to go back a little bit and say like being I feel like creating this podcast is like helpful, at least for me. Right. Um, to kind of build community, to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like these conversations tackling these topics and through these like conversations i feel like you know at least for me it gives me like hope it makes me feel better it helps me get through the day or the week or whatnot i for me it's almost on a like not not religious but like you you need to you need to believe that there there will be that there has yet to be some sort of like solution that no one has thought about before or um or some some incremental progress that can be made um that we just haven't uh, mm-hmm. thought of or haven't discussed yet um and that there's something always worth doing that can make improvements to uh what what's going on in the world so i think this goes back to like one of the questions earlier about, okay, well, what has, what's something that someone said that kind of stuck with you? And this idea of just constantly fighting, even though you know that you're going to lose in the end, but the fact that you fought made all the difference. Um, that kind of idea, I think, really gets me through the, uh, the times post 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where, even if you hold no power at all, um, and I'm talking about like in politics, um, it is still worth being in opposition, right? Uh, you can't just let, uh, let people just do whatever they want and basically create a, uh, a tyranny without some opposition voice. I guess my, my answer is you just gotta believe. You just gotta um, believe. Don't stop believing. It's all a journey. Cubing. Cubing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um I follow um Anthony Ocampo on Twitter. Um, hmm. He's a film professor, mm-hmm. writer, author, activist. 
type of person. He's an academic. Um, and today he happened to tweet something along the lines of my work. I, I do the work that I do so that Filipino kids can finally read about themselves. And basically academia never gave a shit about that. But to me, that meant the world. I feel like I'm kind of reaching out like these, this like, it matters to me type of um, thing that Tim was talking about um, can be really powerful. It's like, even if other people don't understand like why this is important to you, like kind of continuing on anyway. Do you all want to do favorite ride at an amusement park or guilty pleasure? What if my guilty pleasure is a favorite ride at an amusement park? All right, well, <laughs> you can kill two birds. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try to do both then. What is your favorite ride slash guilty pleasure? What is your guilty pleasure ride? <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your guilty pleasure ride? Gosh, I'm just trying to think about the last time I went to an amusement park. I remember very clearly the last time I went to an amusement park. Seven years ago. What the heck? <laughs> My favorite ride was sitting on the side and doing nothing. You need to explain yourself. I am not a fan of roller coasters. But there are non-roller coaster rides. Yeah. What about Ferris wheels? That's how they get you. What? <laughs> I know there's a tunnel that goes off the Ferris wheel ride and goes to the the, the largest roller coaster ride of the amusement park. Kind of tricky. You can't fool me. The Six Flags conspiracy. <laughs> but so you don't guilty pleasure. Like... Recently, I watched the entire series of Glee. I don't know. I mentioned this earlier, but I think Glee is most fun when you watch it with someone else, especially if that someone is also silly and also likes to sing. Like if you remove all the problematic stuff and all the all the bad storylines, it's a nice sing along and it's a nice dance along because it's all songs that you know. I feel yeah, like this I... can somehow be turned into a really good drinking game, like watching Glee. Oh, I thought you were talking about afternoon tea. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it can also be a drinking game. <laughs> I'm kind of like you, being I don't really like or I don't enjoy roller coasters that much, but I'll have to say. I really enjoy uh, Space Mountain, mainly because you can't see where you're going <laughs> on Space Mountain. Right. So it's like, like Bird Box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like Bird Box. <laughs> <laughs> so like they can't get me right, but um, yeah. So it doesn't feel like a roller coaster really. It just feels like you're you're like wind blowing your in your face or something. Hmm. But it's like kind of spacey. But isn't that the scariest part? That you can't see? No, because otherwise you'd be able to see how, like, far up you are and stuff, and that freaks me. Like, the, the anticipation of, like, climbing, uh, like, uh, like in that, what's it called? California something? Oh, California uh, Screaming. Screaming, yeah, 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 that one. Oh, wow. Like, you, you're going up and blah, 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 and then you're just, like, waiting for it to, like, go and, like, um, I, I really hate that. <laughs> I, I'm already shitting my pants just thinking of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I actually like roller coasters quite a bit, but like, I think my favorite kind of rides, or maybe my guilty pleasure rides, are actually the ones that like aren't very like thrilling. So like, um, Disney World has like a lot of those, something like the Epcot, um, ride, um, uh, where it's like, it goes like very slowly and it's more just kind of a tour 
and there's like animatronics and like um it's just like this leisurely paced ride and like for me i really enjoyed those because like it's one of the few times where you kind of just see people from like different demographics and like different age groups um all kind of enjoying the ride um and like for me i just always found that like really fascinating guilty pleasure guilty pleasure what is my guilty pleasure don't you like stuffed animals i do like stuffed animals but like who doesn't i don't know if that's a guilty pleasure that's just pleasure <laughs> what about bringing Blue Moon to a public place? That's weird. I don't, I don't even know how to provide context for that. One time, Alex brought Blue Moon in a thermos to a public place. Oh. <laughs> I don't... It was a Friday... It was a Friday early afternoon, all right? Like, okay. Yeah. I no, already, none of those I words justified bringing I didn't, I didn't know I was going to come back onto campus... I like cracked open a blue moon, started drinking, and then some. Like for some reason, I had to like go back, and so all right, like I wasn't gonna just leave it. <laughs> I stand by my decision. I also think it was it was clever putting it in the thermos because I thought you just brought the bottle, and I was like, oh, like public right. drinking is that oh, legal? You could, you could smell it though. Ooh, only if you I were see. close. Oh, yeah, I think I was hugging Alex, and I was like. Oh, <laughs> that's not water. <laughs> this is Blue Moon. <laughs> Specifically. I actually, I think I remember guessing Blue Moon. I know, what does that say about you, Bing? Oh, you're just more, like, unabashed about it. <laughs> Pretty much. He's not guilty. He doesn't feel guilt about that. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't think of anything good. Some, like, what amusement parks. Good. Just be normal. Make myself sound <laughs> normal. That is the goal of this question. <laughs> um, but I like roller coasters, but um, I I can't think of a specific one that is my favorite. Though um, I also am a huge fan of the Winnie the Pooh ride at uh, Disneyland. Mm. Um, not because I mean, like I like Winnie the Pooh, but. Um, it used to be a different thing. So it used to be like about like the country bears or whatever. And they left little pieces of that ride hidden in the current <laughs> Winnie the Pooh ride. Yeah. So I like to go and find them. Yeah. You that's have like to like. Favorite, that's a favorite ride and a guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two birds. <laughs> Did you know that Winnie the Pooh in Chinese means smell your poo? What? <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. Oh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that actually the transliteration? No. <laughs> but it's Winnie the Pooh. How do you how do you all feel about merry-go-rounds? That sounds like a really leading question and I'm trying yeah. to figure out what you're trying to get at. What what is it, the next step in that question? It's really not like I'm not gonna break it down and be like, well, actually, merry-go-rounds are racist. So if you this is a trap, <laughs> this is a trap. I have a cute merry-go-round story. So I studied abroad in Japan when I was a third year, and then my partner came and visited me, and we went to Tokyo Disney Sea, which is like the California Adventure, like you know how it's like Disneyland California Adventure. It's like that, mm-hmm. but in Tokyo. And I guess like 
my partner's parents never let him go on merry-go-rounds as a kid. Um, what? So we finally went on one, and I have this picture of him, and it, like he's totally not crying, but it looks like he's crying a little bit, and I cherish it. <laughs> was he crying because he was scared? Yes. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, the the merry-go-round is also like Disney themed, so I think. I don't remember if it was me or if it was him, but one of us was like riding on like Genie from Aladdin. It was really cool. Other than that, I don't have feelings about merry-go-rounds. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly enough, I think my one of my guilty pleasures is amusement park related. Um, have you been on Astro Blasters at Disneyland? Astro Blasters? Yeah, it's the Buzz Lightyear one where um, you sit in a little pod and it has like two like toy guns and you have to shoot Zerg targets. You know, actually, I don't know why I asked, because I've never been on any amusement rides. It's not, like, a ride ride, though. The pods go at, like, a quarter of a mile an hour, because you need to shoot these... A quarter of a mile an hour? Like, it, they go God. really slow. That's so fast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I used to have a Disneyland pass, because I grew up not too far from there, and I would obsessively go on that ride. Because mm. I really wanted to get on the high scoreboard, but I never could. Were you a Toy Story fan? Yes, but not like a super fan. Like I've seen all the movies. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. your favorite? Yeah. What's your favorite Pixar film? Oh, huh. Is Inside Out a Pixar film? Yeah. Man, it's gotta be that movie. That movie. I mean, I've seen that movie four times, and I've cried nine times. Who do you who do you like the most from Inside Out? A character or like one of the drivers in your in your brain? Yeah, it could be. Uh, it could be either, I guess. Well, I think I identify most with Riley because when she was younger, she would move around a lot. So that's why I got emotional with that scene because mm-hmm. in my childhood, I had to move around a lot. So I totally understood what she was th- feeling and thinking. And every time I watch it. One stream of tear just flows down my cheek. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on Pixar films. To look up a list. There's Wally, Up, Ratatouille. Oh, and I watched Wally recently for the first time ever. I thought Wally was kind of rapey. I haven't seen Wally. Because <laughs> um, when have you seen it, Tim? Yeah. When Eve comes and she finds the living plants and then she uh, shuts down. Wally was trying to get with her while she was shut down. He was making the moves on her. Like, that was kind of rapey. I'm going to need to watch this again. <laughs> <laughs> I totally didn't catch that when I watched it. Like, he was, she was unconscious, and he was trying to, you know, get with her. It was creepy. Yeah. There's going to be a Toy Story 4. Rapey. Yeah, there is. Oh my god. I really like Up a lot. Mm. Um, I like this idea of like exploring and going on a journey and how it's like, you know, it's not necessarily ever like too old or like you, you're past the point where you can you, you could kind of explore again or go on an adventure or make new friends. And I think the opportunity, the fact that there are those opportunities out there, um, that's kind of reassuring. But I also like Finding Nemo. I like I like sea animals, so that was cool. We have the same taste in Pixar movies. 
I think to that list, I would add Brave. Mm. Um, I don't remember the plot of a lot of movies um, or characters' names, but I definitely remember Merida. And yeah, I mean, I think I like it for all the reasons that they created it. Strong female protagonist kind of coming into her own instead of doing what her family wants. So yeah, it was just cool um, seeing, seeing that. And I also think that, like, Pixar movies in general are, like, really, like, aesthetically, like, beautiful. Right. Um, and for some reason, I'm thinking particularly of, like, the texture of Merida's hair. Yeah, they just put so much work into it. I feel like I read some article about, like, how difficult that was to just get, like, the right texture. Um, oh, wow. Hair. <laughs> yeah. All right. So is being fluent in your heritage language important to you? Why or why not? Are y'all fluent in your heritage languages? I would say um seventy-five to 80% fluent in Chinese. I speak Chinese with my family, with my parents and my sisters, and that's pretty much the only time I use Chinese. I think my proficiency in Chinese has declined so much since starting college. My conversations with both my parents are more Chinglish now, more like 70, 70% Chinese and 30% English. So I wish I was more fluent in Chinese so I could communicate with them better, with my parents better. Um, but I don't have that that vocabulary or that lexicon to be able to express how I really feel in Chinese. So would you, if you have kids, like, would language or like would Mandarin be important for them to learn? I think so. I, I mean, I always think it's important to learn more than just one language. Do you have like any like plans to like try to get better at mandarin or is that something that would be like um i was the investment would be too much uh, i was hoping to go back to taiwan to take some classes specifically a uh, traditional right not uh not that simplified stuff yeah <laughs> yeah i think um i think language is a very complicated kind of thing because it's so intermingled with like what culture means and especially what culture means as part of the diaspora and like what you're grasping at or what one person grasps at. And so like, um, my background, I'm like, I guess technically Taiwanese American. And so, um, yeah, I'm like semi fluent in Mandarin, like enough to converse with people enough where like, you know, when I went back to Taiwan, I was able to like navigate in most spaces, but I can't read. Um, or write and I can also understand Taiwanese but I can't really speak it um, language has been on my mind recently quite a bit actually because I think about how my dad is Hakka and then his language was not kind of brought down to me I didn't learn any of it um, my my mom's from Jinmen which is like a small island in between Taiwan and China and like they have like nuances to their language that she didn't bring over either and so sometimes when I think about language I think about what's already been lost like a lot of times they are like ethnic minority groups or like little enclaves and, and, and kind of cultural landmarks that don't translate over as well as like kind of the mainstream canonical Mandarin Chinese and I sometimes do worry that I've already lost these nuances because my limited Mandarin means that I could only operate from like, oh, a mainstream Taiwanese American vantage point versus like, what about my Hakka background or my Jimin background? 
Um, and then I worry, like, if I have kids or, you know, down the line, um, what more will be lost? Um, and I guess, like, that isn't, that's not necessarily the best way to look at it because, you know, obviously it's, it's less about, like, losing something and more about it's just a different thing. Like, what have I gained from, like, being in America and, like, being exposed to these other cultures? But I guess there is just, like, that level of concern and for me a lot of that is tied to language just because like a lot of language is like part of the culture and and, you know it it is like a key method of communication as well i guess kind of part of what you were getting at is like language is one of those tools that you can basically use to be part of that in group right with your with your with the culture that you identify with and if you don't have it then it becomes more difficult to kind of access that side of you Right. And it, yeah. I, I, oh, sorry. I just meant, like, it obviously doesn't mean you're, like, any less, you know, Taiwanese or, or whatnot. But, yeah, I think there are, like, obvious kind of disadvantages or just, like, difficulties navigating certain spaces because of, like, um, my lack of fluency. Yeah. And I think I feel a lot of those difficulties, um, but amplified because, um, on both of my sides, I'm, well, depending on the grandparent, third or fourth generation. So neither of my parents speak their heritage languages. And I grew up in English speaking, like English only household. Um, in fact, my grandparents all speak English too. And that's, that's what the language they spoke to me in. And I feel like as I've gotten older, I've had to make an active effort to reconnect, um, to, I guess, like, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I've had to actively reconnect, um, by like taking Japanese classes and taking like Filipino classes. Um, and it's always really weird because I'm like, huh, like, shouldn't, shouldn't I know this? And, Mm. um, looking at people around me who did grow up with it, they're like, oh, like, language is, often a central part to people's identities um and that's it's never been that way for me so it was just another layer of questioning and kind of navigating for whatever this like hyphenated like asian american thing is for me um, it is particularly confusing when I, I go back to Japan or the Philippines because people will walk up to me on the street and ask me for directions or something, and then I will open my mouth, and that is the, the moment in which they realize that like I'm not from there, but rather I just look like it, and I grew up somewhere else. Um, and it always... Uh, starts a flurry of questions and I don't know like while this is something that is like super interesting for me and um has kind of been my like direction for the last couple of years it's also like really really exhausting because I'm starting to think that there are no answers something that I've been thinking about is that as it's interesting that you brought up that you're you're your family's been been here for for more than three three four generations, mm-hmm. and I've been thinking like 
I feel especially connected to Taiwan because the degree of separation is not so so far. So I'm second gen.、Mm-hmm. So my my parents immigrated here from Taiwan, and so in that sense, I do feel a lot of times that it's like like Asian American to me is more more so transnational、mm. uh, in, in many in many respects. That I, but it's interesting that you are trying to basically regain that like transnational character.、Um, yeah, yeah.、Um, especially since the since the Asian American studies as a field is moving towards transnational diasporic studies rather than yeah, just focusing on on、uh, North America specifically. Yeah, it's just so difficult to maintain that culture and stay connected to your heritage. You know, there are so many factors that contribute to the erasure of our culture. You know, things like diaspora,、uh, neoliberal global economy, globalization,、uh, generational conflicts. They're all contributing to the erasure of our connection to our、mm-hmm. heritage,、um, especially with globalization and the expansion of the global neoliberal economy, or in other words, the free flowing. Transfer of ideas and resources and wealth between borders. This phenomenon leads to the homogenization of cultures, and you know that white people are actively trying to limit the expression of culture by POCs in the world.、Mm-hmm. So that makes me afraid that later generations of folks may only have a white appropriated idea of their ancestors' cultures.、Mm-hmm. Specifically in the diaspora, or do you think culture is shifting in their places of origin too? Because like I look at the okay, well the Philippines is a bad example, but like I look at Japan, who has a history of like xenophobia and has very high walls in in kind of preserving. Its own, like the purity of its own culture, and I, I start to see like Romaji, like like the English alphabet, the Latin alphabet, like sneaking into advertisements, sneaking into newspapers.、Um, I'm starting to see more international brands. Like there was a Forever Twenty One in the middle of like this like shopping center in Shibuya, <laughs> and so I think Japan. It's definitely opening its doors to like whatever American like on on an economic level like American influence. I mean, if we think about like、um, let's see, like like supposedly Taiwan is going to be like at least fifty to one hundred percent proficient or fluent in English, and there's quite. I feel like there's. Quite a lot of demand for English teachers, for places like in in China and、um, elsewhere, driven by this, the the language of business is right now English, and so that is one of the driving forces, and so that alongside like global capitalism,、um, sort of the the hegemony of like、uh, Western markets, right. Um, wanting to break into these "quote unquote" new markets, it's not it's not erasure, but it's 
trying to basically how do I put this? Just break in and uh and spread their their influence in that in that respect. Along those lines, I think the Philippines is a really interesting to, place to look at because America's had such a strong influence that tying this back to the language thing, people don't people in like Metro Manila don't speak quote unquote deep Tagalog. Everyone speaks Taglish. Mm. Um and so mm. like if if you're educated, you speak English. Like you know Tagalog, but you speak English. Um and English is again like the the business language. Um but what's funny is that if you take Tagalog lessons in the diaspora, you learn deep Tagalog. So I as as Taglish shifts more and more towards just using English, I'm thinking that it's going to be the Filipino diaspora that keeps Tagalog oh. alive because that's where it's being learned, taught and learned. That's really cool. I also feel like it's because of, like the Philippines has so many people outside of like the like physical mm-hmm. nation state, right? Um, there's even uh, the Philippines has a government office dedicated to overseas workers, and so like you know how in the states, for instance, like there's like a special line for like the pilots and the the other people that work for the mm-hmm. airlines, and then like for veterans and active people in the army. In the Philippines, they have those things along with the third line for OFWs, overseas oh, really? Filipino workers. Yeah. Um, I've heard people say that like the Philippines' biggest ex- export is its labor. Mm. Um, That's very Pinteresting. And so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so as people continue to leave and more kids are like 1.5 generation, second generation, and even beyond, it's like... And like their parents no longer are using Tagalog or their like main language or dialect as the language in their household. And there's more like schools and teachers for Tagalog. It's like these are the places that that are going to like preserve that. Because the Philippines has been like totally ravaged by like the the like the the cultural influence of like capitalism this reminds me of how how in america the dim sum restaurants you know how they push around those carts Mm -hmm. that is slowly becoming not a thing in hong kong now because uh it's just more efficient to just have people order what uh dishes they want so that's becoming the trend and slowly these carts are being phased out. But, but like in the diaspora, it's like, no, this is like how you're, how we're doing it. Um, and I think also in like, like Vietnamese communities in, in, in the United States, you know, there's the, the side that, that won the war and stayed in Vietnam and the side that lost the war, right? So, um, a lot, a lot of uh, the old, uh, I guess, uh, cultural things are actually being preserved here and not not in not in Vietnam anymore. Apparently. Oh, that's so funky. Yeah. So it's like the diaspora serves as like a archive for in some respects. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that's a good place to 
end our conversation for today. I feel like we had a really good, great discussions about you know race, politics of identity, questions of belonging. That's kind of the reason why I wanted to create this podcast so we can work through some of these problems that we all face together. Some of these questions about race, belonging, and identity. Um, so thank you all for participating in this conversation today. Thanks for having me, Bing. Yeah, thanks. Uh, for the viewers out there, uh, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. Uh, you can find us on Instagram under at Afternoon Tea Pod. We have to end with a tea-related pun. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do we think of a good tea, tea pun? Wait, what are your past tea puns? Be here for a long time. <laughs> thank you very much. Something related to part T. Quench your curiosity. <laughs> but most people like stay for a long time. Yeah. All right. Just have it as a tagline. Yeah. For, uh, forever. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Hope you stay for a long time. Nice. Or maybe someone else can do it better than me. Or maybe you, maybe being you have to do like an outro song. Like a Broadway like musical. Bing has to sing it. Yeah, Bing has to sing it. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Instagram under Afternoon Teapot. Stay for a long time. That's perfect. <laughs> it was a little flat though. Stay for a long time. That was too sharp. <laughs> Critiquing your own singing. I am. <laughs> you can just go back and like, like put auto tune on yourself. Mm. Ooh, <laughs> that would be cool. Stay for the long time. Make yourself sound like T Pain. <laughs> T Pain. Oh. <laughs>